أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إذا جاءك المنافقون قالوا نشهد إنك لرسول الله والله يعلم إنك لرسوله والله يشهد إن المنافقين لكاذبون اتخذوا أيمانهم جنة فصدوا عن سبيل الله إنهم ساء ما كانوا يعملون ذلك بأنهم آمنوا ثم كفروا فطبع على قلوبهم فهم لا يفقهون رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي فالحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين ثم ما بعد سجن السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته we're inching and making some progress alhamdulillah hopefully we can finish the juz today um, we are up to surah al-munafiqun uh, surah number 63 of the quran 11 ayat uh, that are dedicated to probably the most comprehensive study of the hypocrites there are passages on the on hypocrisy that are longer surah an-nisa has long passages on it surah al-ahzab has long passages on it um, you know there are there's mention of munafiqun in surah al-baqarah there's passages about them in ali imran good number of baqi madani surahs have uh, nifaq and hypocrisy mentioned in it but this is like an overview study So the first place you would study about hypocrisy would be this one and then you'd go elsewhere because it puts everything together in a very concise way. And the subject is basically a continuation of the conversation from Surah Al-Jumu'ah in that you see the munafiqun had very similar characteristics to the failures among Bani Israel. They have very similar qualities and they are are bunched together quite a bit. They they the profession the profession or the the professing to believe and then not acting upon it. and to have something saying being said from your mouth and not by your actions so you notice also in surah as-saff when allah azza wa jalla talked about hypocrisy lima taquluna ma la taf'alun why do you say what you don't do followers of musa followers of isa were mentioned right after that because they're both bani israil so there is a connection made between the behavior of munafiqun and the criminal element among bani israil in previous uh, uh, generations anyhow idha ja'aka al-munafiqun whenever when the hypocrites come to you the word idha suggests that takes the past tense after it ja of course is not yaji'u it's past tense but it forces the meaning to the future so it's not or, or present or future so it's not when they came to you it's whenever they come to you whenever they come to you now as opposed to in ja'aka al-munafiqun if when as opposed to if means it's inevitable the hypocrites have a particular agenda and part of that agenda is to make it appear as though they are close to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or they have his private ear You remember the conversation in Surah Al-Mujadala and Surah Al-Hashr also where we learned about how they wanted to talk to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and, the, and Allah revealed a tax like really just to deter them from making it look like they've got this really close personal relationship with the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is really a photo op is what it is it's just the opportunity to stand next to him and be seen that he was there so idha ja'aka al-munafiqun when the when the hypocrites come to you qalu they would say nashhadu innaka la rasulullah we bear witness you definitely are truly the messenger of allah notice first of all this is a jumla ismiya second of all it's got inna for emphasis third of all it's got the lam of tawkid and emphasis fourth of all it starts actually with a fi'il nashhadu 
Then it's the jumla. We testify. Like, you know, we say, La ilaha illallah. We just say it. And we say, Nashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Now, there's a, there's a difference between these two things. When you say Nashhadu, you're talking about yourself. When I say Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, I'm not talking about Allah, I'm talking about myself and what I testify. When I just say La ilaha illallah, I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about Allah. You have to understand this subtle difference. Now, when I say I testify, I testify, I bear witness, I declare that Islam is the truth. If I do that, I declare that Islam is the truth. Then I could be a liar. Because I could be saying it, but not really declaring it. So I could be a liar. If I say Islam is the truth, just, I don't say I declare Islam is the truth, I just say what? Islam is the truth. Whether I mean it or not, it's still true. So the difference, again, from a linguistic point of view, if I say I declare Islam to be true, that statement could be true or false. But if I say Islam is true, then that statement can only be true whether I believe it or not. That stands independent of my personal belief about it. Okay? They come to the Prophet ﷺ and they say, we bear witness, you are so God's messenger. You are truly the messenger of Allah. The, this is an over, going out of your way to express how much faith you have in the Prophet ﷺ in attempts, in hopes that he will be impressed by you. You know, the people who really believe in the Prophet ﷺ, they don't come and tell him, you know, you really are the messenger of Allah. I mean, you are so the messenger, seriously. So messenger. I mean, revelation totally comes to you. And usually when those kinds of over-emphatic stating the obvious, when those kinds of things happen, then you know what? These are either attempts at sarcasm, or they are overcompensating to try to convince someone otherwise, and you give yourself up as a liar. You know the salesperson that talks too much? This is the best car ever. I'm giving you a deal. I like you. Last customer that walked in here? I asked, I asked him for three times more. But I like your face. That's why I'm telling you, you're not going to regret this. And he goes out of his way to swear, convince. What's he giving away? He's a con artist. These people come to the Prophet ﷺ and they say, Nashhadu innaka la Rasulullah. Allah says, Wallahu ya'lamu innaka la Rasuluhu. And Allah, in fact, knows you're his messenger. Thanks for that, Captain Obvious. Thank you. And then, Wallahu yashhadu lakadhibun. Allah then in turn, in fact, testifies that hypocrites are, they truly are the liars. They're lying. They truly are lying. Now, what statement did they make? You're the messenger of Allah. That's not a lie. What part is a lie? We testify. No, you don't testify. You testify with your mouth, not with your hearts. That's a lie. Allah calls out their act. You see, that's why the word nashal is so eloquent there. If they just said, if the ayah said, إِذَا جَاءَكَ الْمُنَافِقُونَ قَالُوا إِنَّكَ لَرَسُولُ اللَّهِ When hypocrites come to you, they say, you're the messenger of Allah. Well, that's true whether they believe it or not. That's not a lie. But nashhadu إِنَّكَ لَرَسُولُ اللَّهِ is a lie. Because you're not really testifying. You're not really declaring that. It's, just, it's all fake. So Allah calls out their lie. Inna al-munafiqina lakadhibun. The major lesson in this ayah is that the hypocrite goes out of his way to profess his iman. It's one of the signs of hypocrisy. Not to, for you to judge others, but yourself. Watch it. 
you go out of your way to tell somebody, you know, last night the hajjud was a little extra long. My neck hurts from reciting all of Surah Yasin in the first rakah and then the second rakah. I finished like the whole 29th juz with proper tajweed. <laughs> you know, like, so I make dua that Allah, you know, heals my neck. I should probably do more qiyam tonight. Uh, Allah knows you make qiyam. You don't have to email anybody about it. You don't have to send out a tweet. tweet. Can't believe I just did this. You know? You don't have to tell people about your iman. You don't have to tell people about your iman. You know, subhanAllah, I feel so close to Allah. It's amazing. No, I have. MashaAllah, I'm really... Alhamdulillah, extremely humble. <laughs> it's a dead giveaway. It's a dead giveaway you've got a problem. Those personal, intimate relationships you have with Allah are between you and Allah. They're not to be shared with anybody else. They're just between you and Him. You don't have to tell anybody. And, and if you do, then it's obviously fake. Obviously fake. Keep it to yourself. They took their oaths as a shield. Junna, shield, a cover. Janna literally means to cover. Junna, a thing that covers you. They, what's their oath? Nashadu Allah ilaha illallah. Nashadu annaka Rasulullah. That shield that, you know, when somebody testifies that they're Muslim, then they're safe from other Muslims. They're safe from the scrutiny of other Muslims. Muslims can attack them. Muslims can criticize them because Muslims are supposed to be humble to one another. They have to be merciful to each other. You know? Don't say about anybody who says salam to you that you're not a believer. If, so long as we said salam, we declared la ilaha illallah, we're considered a believer, we will not be judged. And so the hypocrites really want to maintain, they want to be safe, they want to do whatever they're going to do to disrupt the Prophet's work, but they can't afford to be scrutinized by the Muslims at the same time, so their, their shahada is just fake. The shahada itself is fake, which leads us to a very important conversation about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy happens in stages. It happens in stages. And this, the first stage of it is weak faith, weak iman, which is a result of weak actions, weak company, being away from believers, not getting enough tazkiyah, what are the things that prevent you from being a hypocrite? The four things that was, were mentioned already in the previous surah. Jum'ah is supposed to be a mechanism that heals you from hypocrisy. It's supposed to clean you up a little, you know? But when weak iman is the first step. Then second step, early, early onset of hypocrisy, there are four major signs of a hypocrite. Ulama have listed like 28, but the hadith at least mentions four major signs that you should look out for. You know, إِذَا wa'ada akhlafa. He makes a promise, he starts breaking it. He speaks, he tells a lie. It's no big deal for him to tell a lie. A little exaggeration here and there, no problem. A little misquote here and there. You know, just to impress people or just in the conversation, just brought it up. No, who's going to catch that? You know, whenever he's trusted with something, he violates the trust. You know, he can't be trusted with things. Trust me, trust me, I got this, I got this. No, you don't got this. You know, breaking promises, not being trustworthy. Lying, easy, easily lying, common becomes common habit. And then finally, the Khasama Fajara, Sahih Muslim's edition. 
right? If he's, if he's debated with, argued, criticized, critiqued, corrected, he explodes. He can't take it. can't take criticism. There's really big personality disorder comes out when you criticize that person. Like, who are you? What do you think you are telling me I'm wrong? Know your place. And he gets really offended by somebody offering critical advice, a correction, you know? Like, it happened to me this week. I got really upset at Jumar this week. Doesn't normally happen, but the phone thing. Maybe it's this built pent up aggression from Hajj. You know, all the picture taking and the Facebook updates on Hajj, but the person next to you in Tawaf. And you're supposed to be patient in Hajj, but you know, human beings pent up aggression and just builds and builds and builds. I'm about to give khutbah a couple of guys are. <laughs> They're leaning against the wall, three, four of them on their smartphones, hacking away. I'm like, I know you're supposed to get benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're reading Quran. And they're tapping, writing ayat. I don't know. You have to be really creative in giving benefit of the doubt. You know? Or whatever it is. But um, by the time the Qamah you know, stood, I said, you know, guys, just by the way, before we start praying, turn your phones off. And you, when, you, when you come to Jumaj, at least just don't update your, update your Facebook and don't check your text messages. Turn your smartphones off. I mean, Allah is not asking you for your whole day. He's just asking you for 20 minutes. It's not even me. Any khatib. doesn't matter. Just don't do it. And if you, if you can't stop yourself, then really you should feel a sense of shame. You can't do that. You know, just a little bit. Allah is asking for just a little bit. So it's just brotherly advice. I don't want to put anybody down. That's what I, exactly what I said. That's a lot. Guy came up to me almost crying. Brother, I was just looking at the... Not the guy I saw. Not the guys I saw. Brother, I was just looking at the Quran and following the ayat you were reciting. I was like, I didn't see you. I didn't, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It wasn't about you. It wasn't. I promise. <laughs> Felt really bad. <laughs> but anyway, and then the sheikh came and told me, you know, really, you, you know, you made people feel bad. You shouldn't make people feel bad. I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm not gonna sit and argue, but you know these people. Oh! He's right. I'm just, I got passive aggressive. That's it. You have to be able to admit, okay, you know what? Yeah, that was pretty dumb. There's better ways of doing that. You know? So they can't take criticism. Now, these are personality <laughs> flaws, you would have to argue, right? But hypocrisy, once you reach hypocrisy, it could be a little bit of this, a little bit of that, four major things. So you could have a bit of each, or you could have just one and not the others. That means you have a degree of hypocrisy in you. I have a degree of hypocrisy in me. But when it reaches a certain stage, then basically it's divided into two kinds, conscious and subconscious. Conscious hypocrisy and subconscious hypocrisy. Al-munafiq alladhi ya'lam wal-munafiq alladhi la ya'lam. Hypocrite who knows, hypocrite who doesn't know. Conscious hypocrisy is the spy, the guy who's Muslim, and he knows he's not Muslim. He knows deep down inside, he doesn't believe this stuff. He's got some political agenda, some covert operations, some, you know, he's, he's got some political, you know, some gains to make with the Prophet ﷺ. And the only reason he's Muslim is because Muslims are the dominant party right now, so might as well join their ranks. But he's not interested in Islam in any way, shape, or form. And deep down inside, he's got no intentions of being Muslim. It's entirely a facade, and he himself, she herself, knows it. That's conscious hypocrisy. You could basically call it a spy. You call it a spy, okay? But on the other hand, in the more dangerous version, 
is subconscious or unconscious hypocrisy. You exhibit the behavioral signs that the Prophet ﷺ warned about, that the Quran warns about, things like وَلَا يَأْتُونَ الصَّلَاةَ إِلَّا وَهُمْ كُسَالَى وَلَا يُنْفِقُونَ إِلَّا وَهُمْ كَارِهُونَ Surah At-Tawbah, Allah says, they don't come to Salat except that they're lazy. What did the previous Surah say? How do you come to Jumu'ah? You rush. The sign of the hypocrite, Surah At-Tawbah, they come to Salat, they do, but they come lazy, dragging their feet. And when they do give, وَلَا يُنْفِقُونَ إِلَّا وَهُمْ كَارِهُونَ They don't give except that they are kind of like, Ah, oh God, I can't believe I wrote such a big check. They regret giving. Once they give, they, do, they regret it. They don't like it. They're reluctant to spend. That's signs of hypocrisy. These are all signs of hypocrisy. And somebody can have these signs and not ever even know that they, he, she, I, am suffering from hypocrisy. That we're suffering from it. Now, I made a distinction between two kinds of hypocrisy. What were they? Conscious and subconscious. The Quran doesn't do that. The Quran just says, Munafiq. Which means as far as Quran is concerned, doesn't make a difference. Doesn't make a difference if you're a fake Muslim intentionally, ideologically, or you're a fake Muslim behaviorally. Conscious or subconscious, you're a munafiq. And the thing about nifaq in the Quran is that it is talked about in more severe terms than shirk. You were probably raised learning that shirk is the unforgivable crime. If there's one thing Allah won't forgive, it is Quran says this. Allah will not forgive that shirk be committed with him. He might forgive other things. Might, not will. Might. But on the, in the case of hypocrisy, the conversation is even more intense. The Prophet ﷺ, if he was to ask forgiveness for people, if he were to ask forgiveness for people, I mean, he makes small du'as, the Prophet ﷺ. He makes a small du'a to Ibn Abbas, Allahumma faqihu fiddin, wa'allimhu ta'wil. Give him interpretation of, give him knowledge of deen and teach him interpretation. And he becomes the faqih, the, the mufassir of the ummah. Right? One small dua. The Rasul making dua for someone is not a small thing, it's a pretty big thing. It's a pretty big thing. And Allah says to the Prophet, Sawa'un alayhim, astaghfarta lahum, am lam tastaghfir lahum. Fi hadhi surah. Wa kathalik sabiqan qal, in tastaghfir lahum sab'ina maratan, lan yaghfir Allahu lahum. It makes no difference whether you were, you were to ask Allah to forgive them or you didn't ask Allah to forgive them. If you were to forgive them, if you were to ask Allah to forgive them 70 times, you, Prophet of Allah, وسلم, were to ask Allah to forgive them 70 times, Allah will not forgive them. Now put this in perspective. This is the same Prophet who didn't have to ask Allah to change the Qibla, he just had to look at the sky. And Allah changed the direction of the planet's prayer. This this earth's prayer direction was changed because he looked at the sky. And yet now he's not just looking, he's asking. And asking up to how many times? 70 times, forgive these people, forgive these people, forgive these people. Allah says, I will not. I will not acknowledge this request. How intensely angry does Allah have to be that his prophet, alayhi salatu is making dua for people multiple times, countless times, and they don't qualify. Allah says no to his messenger, alayhi salatu Keeping in mind, you have to add other dimensions to this problem. Keeping in mind that it is the, the shafa'a of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa on judgment day that qualifies people in this ummah for Allah's mercy. There's people who Allah's messenger will make shafa'a for. He will intercede for them and say, they're with me. They're with me. Obviously, when you combine all of these texts, you understand that the munafiqun will not be considered with him. 
They will not be considered. Suratul Hadid already made it visually clear how will they not be counted among the believers. How? Wall will be dropped. A wall will be dropped. He won't even see them. They don't even count. So this, this matter is very, very, very serious. About hypocrisy, you know, they take their iman as a shield. Now how do they take it as a shield? The, the spy obviously keeps his identity covert by saying he's a Muslim. The subconscious hypocrite doesn't even realize that he's continuously engrossing himself in hypocrisy. And he thinks just because he or she has said what? La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. How can I be a hypocrite? What are you talking about? I'm a believer. How can I be? There's, there's no, I'm not in trouble. Allah says, These people, how, how horrible the behavior, the actions they're engaged in. And that they have been engaged in. It's about their behavior that landed them here. Actions have consequences. Our hearts are not separated from our deeds. Our, our, our deeds necessarily have an impact on our hearts. What you watch, what you say, you know who you hang out with, how you earn your money, these necessarily have spiritual impact. And you damage your heart enough and you're in a, in a state where it's irreparable. There is a point of no return in hypocrisy. There is a point, and that's the point of no return where even the Prophet can't even pray for you now. Even these, and by the way, look at the mercy of our Messenger, I'll ask more than 70 times then. Ayahs <laughs> revealed, he says, I'll ask even more then. He still cares about them so much. And by the way, who caused the Prophet the most pain? Hypocrites. He's praying for people who caused him serious, serious pain. Accusing your wife of infidelity? We can't, I mean, Put it in human terms. Somebody accuses the wife of infidelity. How are, you able, how are you ever able to look at that person and not be enraged? Not want to kill the guy. Not want to kill him. This happens with our Prophet and it's not just about his wife. It's the mother of the believers. It's the integrity of all of Islam. An accusation happens from the Munafiqun. Some Sahaba even get caught up in it. And he's making a istighfar for them. That's just uh, the love a Rasul has for this ummah is unfathomable. These are the, I mean, I can't even, I can't even, you know, fathom how that works. How that works. And yet, as incredible as the love and mercy of our Messenger is, وسلم, for the hypocrites that are at the point of no return, Allah says, even your istighfar is not enough. And Allah's mercy is much greater than our Prophet's because our Prophet is creation and Allah is Allah. But Allah closes the door. Allah says, no, these people don't deserve it. They must be some, it must be some serious violation. This must be some serious violation. Hypocrisy. The last bit I want to share with you before we get into the surah itself and, and move on to the third ayah. This golden rule about hypocrisy that all of us should remember. مَا أَمِينَهُ إِلَّا مُنَافِقُ وَمَا خَافَهُ إِلَّا مُؤْمِنُ Nobody feels safe from it except the hypocrite. If you and I, if I start thinking I don't have that problem, that is the ultimate proof that I do. And nobody's afraid of hypocrisy except a true believer. Golden rule. If I'm worried about hypocrisy, that's still a sign it hasn't invaded me yet. It hasn't taken over my being yet. If it ceases to worry me, then I know it's there. As one golden rule. The other golden rule of hypocrisy is 
It is a, the signs of hypocrisy, the behaviors that allude to hypocrisy, the gauges that have been revealed in this surah and others in the Quran. All of them are measures to judge where I stand, not anybody else. You see, I told you actions are related to the heart. But how they're related is different for different people. Is different for different people. Somebody is late to salat. You don't look at him and say, "Wala yatuna salata illa wahum kusala." They came to salat late. Quran says those who come lazily to prayer are hypocrites. I make a one-to-one -one correlation. Somebody got angry when you were yelling at them, and you say, "The khasama fajara." When he's arguing with, he explodes in anger. Sign of a hypocrite. Can't take criticism. See this guy, munafiq, right here. And so when a khutbah is being given about hypocrisy, you're like, I know the, the exact person you're talking about. Oh my God. I wish they were here. They so need to hear this. You know? You got a person's picture in your mind. That's the ultimate sign you have a problem. Because nobody accuses anybody else of hypocrisy except if they are themselves infected with the disease. You and I are in no position to accuse anyone of being infected. And hypocrites, by the way, in the Madani Qur'an are the ultimate enemies of the Prophet They are compared to those who undermine the mission of Musa, undermine the mission of Isa, the ultimate enemies of a messenger, the enemy from within. It's the ultimate enemy. So wouldn't the Sahaba want to know who the enemies are? So they can annihilate them? So when the Prophet is told, finally, who the, some hypocrites are, some hypocrites, spies, in this case spies. Remember I told you conscious and unconscious? So conscious hypocrites, spies, joined the Prophet ﷺ in the expedition of Tabuk in the middle of the night when they settled camp in, in a valley, dark of night. These people put black cloaks on and attempted an assassination of the Prophet ﷺ, and a few companions were able to ward them off because it was the dark of night, you know, they're dressed in black, you couldn't tell who they were, and they all escaped and they blended into the Muslim crowd the next day. Quran, or not Quran, Allah gave the, the Messenger revelation of the names of these nine individuals. The attempted assassins. Allah gave them the names. Now, wouldn't the Muslims who want to defend the Prophet want to know their names? The question is, wouldn't they want to know? So they can do something about it. The Prophet tells Hanzala, Hudayfa, Hudayfa radiallahu anhu, the nine names. These are the people. Okay. So, and don't tell anyone the Prophet tells him. Don't tell anyone. Umar comes to the Hudayfa. And Umar doesn't say, tell me the names. Let me take care of them. What's really interesting about Umar radiallahu anhu. By the way, Umar by this time already guaranteed Jannah. Has already guaranteed Jannah. So if anybody should know they're not a munafiq, it should be Umar. He comes to Hudayfa and says, hey. Is my name in the list? And Hudayfa is probably looking at him like, uh, dude, you're Omar. <laughs> but no, he says, I've taken an oath not to say whose name is in there, but I can tell you yours isn't in there. <laughs> you know why I share this story with you? Because if Omar cannot feel secure, about his iman. If he can't feel, and he, do, he doesn't even make a distinction between spies 
and subconscious hypocrites. Because obviously subconscious hypocrites who have a character problem wouldn't try to assassinate the Prophet It is spies who tried to assassinate the Prophet But And obviously this is a list of nine spies in the ultimate understanding of Umar of Islam. When hypocrites are talked about, it doesn't matter if they're conscious or subconscious. So he wants to know if his name is in there. He doesn't make a distinction. The Sahaba don't make a distinction. It's incredible. So if he can't feel secure, then you and I can't feel secure about this subject. It is the scariest subject in Islam. It is the scariest subject. I mean, we saw the fear of this subject in Surah Al-Hadid when the wall is dropped. Weren't we with you? You know? And now this shield, And now Allah talks about how hypocrisy ends up happening. You ever see a pendulum swing? You ever see those things where you take a ball and the other ball goes up? You know, I don't know what they call that thing. The what? Newton's cradle. Very good. Two points on the test. It dies out. It dies out eventually. If, if you can imagine a person who can't swim. He comes up, he goes down. He comes up, he goes down. He comes up, he stays down. There's movement back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and it ends up in life or death. Because motion is life and stillness is death. Does it, where does it end up? In death. Iman is life. Kufr is death. ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ آمَنُوا ثُمَّ كَفَرُوا Other place in the Quran describes this even more. آمَنُوا ثُمَّ كَفَرُوا ثُمَّ آمَنُوا ثُمَّ كَفَرُوا ثُمَّ أَزْدَادُوا كُفْرًا came up and down and up and down and then he sank. He has days of Iman. Then he has days of absolutely no Iman at all. Then he has days of Iman. Then he has no days of Iman. Zero Iman. Up and down this like turbulent spiritual life. And then, you know, eventually it just dies. It just dies. You're not able to resuscitate anymore. You're not able to give it a jolt anymore. Nothing works anymore. SubhanAllah. Sahaba, when they realize this happens, you know, Iman goes up and down. You have good days and bad days. Hanzalah heard this, he freaked out. He came out of his house like delusional. Nafaka Hanzalah, Nafaka Hanzalah. Hanzalah has become a hypocrite. And Abu Bakr Siddiq caught him like, what's wrong with you? Why are you saying that? Because when I'm with the Prophet, my Iman goes up. I feel so strong. When I'm not with him, I don't feel like that anymore. My iman goes down. And Abu Bakr is like, wait, I'm like that too. <laughs> They're both terrified that their iman fluctuates. So they go to the Prophet and they ask him, are we hypocrites? Because our iman is like fluctuating. And the Prophet consoles them and says, no, 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 you're, if you had an iman that stayed up all the time, this comes and goes. Those highs in Iman, they come and go in faith. They come and go. Because if you always had them, angels would be at your beds. Like saluting you and praying for you. Like you'd be, you'd be some, you know, non-human beings. But this, is, this comes and goes. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about you got serious about religion. Then it's like you don't even have a religion. Then you went through a phase. Then it's gone again. 
It's not you have good iman days and bad, you know, some days you're salat, you're crying in salat, some days you're like, I don't even know what happened. How many rakahs did I pray? Those days come too, you know? You can't even remember if you woke up for fajr or not or whatever. Bad days. Bad, bad days. But then there are good days. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking even a step further. This is the extreme now. These are people that, you know, stop praying altogether for a while. I was just, you know, I'm just having a tough time right now, so I'm not really into the deen thing. Ramadan, they pick it up again. Then they take on vacation again. Then pick it up again. That's because they believed, then they disbelieved. This also means, I'll, I'll take you at the end, your questions, inshallah. Hold on to them, don't forget them. Another meaning of this is, they came to Islam, they came to Islam, and they, were, they realized Islam is asking too much. They just thought, it's too much, I can't do this. So for all practical purposes, they weren't going to give themselves to Islam, but they'll just hold on to the title. They, practically, they've denied all of it. Practically. They're not interested. You know what the hardest part for the hypocrite was? Obeying the Prophet They didn't obey him. That's why they wanted to go out of their way to impress, show the people, no, 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 we like him. We say salam day. We believe he's a messenger. Following him is a little, you know, it's got a little fuzzy there. You know? There's a growing population of Muslims like that would not be in a Bayina class, would not be in like a seminar, in a halaqa, uh, and it's growing. A population is growing that see Islam as a spiritual outlet. So it's their way of connecting to God, prayer, you know, uh, you know some rituals, etc. But their worldview and their definitions of right and wrong and their, their ethical standards are not shaped by Islam at all. So prayer is there. There's some spiritual connection to Islam there. Inshallah, mashallah, alhamdulillah, subhanallah, the tag phrases are there. But ask them about gay marriage or ask them about, you know, alcohol or drugs or whatever, and you'll find, wow, your, your thoughts on these things are not shaped by Islam at all. Not at all. So there's some level of iman, theoretically, but practically is a denial of all these teachings. All you want is, okay, I want to connect to God, and then I'll live my life my own way. Which is basically, to me, it's spiritual agnosticism. So you took one more step, okay, God exists. But not in anything in my life, just in theory, he exists. So I believe in God. And religion's good, so long as it doesn't mess with my lifestyle. <laughs> you know, it's a superficial, I'm Muslim, cultural Muslims, social Muslims. And they care a lot about Muslims. They do, but it's, it's not connected to the religion at all. It's just us as a people. It's kind of like you have atheist Zionist Jews. You know, they really care about Jews. But they have nothing to do with... Judaism, nothing. We're reaching that stage in the Muslim Ummah today. There's a growing population of people like that. And I'm not telling you that so you can hate them. I'm telling you that we have to, this is going to be in your own family. There's going to be cousins like that. There's going to be uncles like that. And we have to reach out. It's not going to be on televised debates. We have, these are people in our own family. You know? Then seals are placed upon their hearts. Then they're not going to understand. By the way, I, I moved a little quickly. Last time I told you there are two kinds of cleansing. When we talked about purification, what were they? Do you remember? Spiritual and intellectual. Obviously intellectual up here, spiritual in here. Hypocrisy is a problem where? 
It's a spiritual problem. So when Allah says, ala kulubihim, their hearts are sealed. What has been what is now inaccessible, spiritual cleansing is no longer accessible. But what you would think the spiritual problem is permanent, at least they can still have hopes of what? Intellectual cleansing. What's the next part of the ayah? Fahum la Ain al fiqh. They, they're not able to understand anymore. Understanding is not a spiritual thing, it is an intellectual thing. But Allah is telling you once you're spiritually closed off, then your mind is shut from it too. You can't even be, these people, doesn't matter how intellectually you argue about Islam, it's not going to go anywhere because the heart's sealed. The heart's the problem. They're not able to understand. And when you were to see them, their physical presence impresses you. Jism, jism in Arabic means the physical body. It's so powerful that Allah uses that. Allah didn't even say, تُعْجِبُكَ you know, Their numbers, their numbers impress you. He said, أَجْسَامُهُمْ Their physical bodies impress you. Because the physical body means the spiritual entity inside is dead. It's just a physical body, that's it. You know, <laughs> they're just physical numbers. They're material numbers. They have no spiritual weight. وَإِنْ يَقُولُوا And the Prophet, you know, more followers, so it looks... Like there were believers in front of him, but Allah calls them just ajsam. And if they were to speak, you would listen to their word. In other words, you would give them an ear. Allah is also letting the Prophet know that they try a lot to gain your attention, and out of your courtesy, you give them attention. It is as though they are hollow barks of leaning planks of wood. Planks of wood that are leaning, that look like they're standing, but when you look back, they're actually leaning on something. They're not standing on their own. You know, that's, that's musannad. Musannad means, looks strong, or it gains its strength by leaning on something else. So they're leaning on the Muslim community. They're leaning on their shahada to have their credibility. That's, in that sense, they're leaning. Khushab also implies they're hollow on the inside. You know how a tree is hollow on the inside? So it's not just wood, it can, it can also imply wood that's empty on the inside, like termites eaten away on the inside. Right? So you have the outer shell of a believer, but inside there's nothing. There's no spiritual truth to it. Then they're paranoid, another sign of them. They assume every outcry, every criticism is directed at them. They're so paranoid about keeping their reputation intact, that when somebody, when, when the Prophet talks about the signs of a hypocrite, or the weakness of Iman, then they're like, why is he looking at me like that? Or is he talking to me? Look, when you hear a khutbah about hypocrisy, and when I hear a khutbah about hypocrisy, I should think it's talking about me. I should think it's talking about me. But I shouldn't think it's a personal attack. There's a difference between the two, right? So every time advice is given or criticism is given, I should think, am I, am I guilty of that criticism? Am I responsible for that? But if I'm sitting there going, that khatib, every time he said munafiq, he looked at me. Every time he said jahannam, he kind of made eye contact with me. What's that about? What's this problem? That ain't cool. I've actually had people come up to me after Jummah and say, why were you looking at me like that? I was like, where were you? I was, I, I don't even know you... You were like at the first row. Like, I can't even look down that line. How am I looking at you? Dude? You know? He's like, I don't think you should look, me, look at me that way. Guilty conscience, right? 
how is he calling me out like that? People thought one time I give khutbah. People thought I paid some somebody paid me to give a khutbah against that guy who came up to me at the end. Who paid you to give this khutbah? <laughs> Literally, who paid you to give this khutbah? I was like, I didn't get paid for this khutbah. No, no, tell the truth, brother. <laughs> who, gave, who told you have to give a khutbah about me? I was like, I'm gonna go now. <laughs> Subhanallah. You know what's ironic about that khutbah? It was about not saying mean things to people. <laughs> say nice things to people. Who paid you to give the khutbah? That ain't nice. <laughs> but they are paranoid. They assume every outcry is about them. So two people are talking and they assume they're talking about me. People are having a conversation, like, it must be about me. What are they saying? What are they saying? So worried about what other people think of you. Sign of hypocrisy. What are, what are people saying about me online? What are the comments under the video? I need to know. I'm so concerned. You know? That's a problem. They're too self-conscious. Too self-absorbed. Too self-absorbed. They are the ultimate enemy. Watch out for them. Be careful of them. May Allah fight them. It also means may Allah destroy them. It's a form of dua. The past tense can be used in Arabic for dua. May Allah destroy them. Also implies Allah has already destroyed them. Allah has already fought them. In other words, this internal conflict they're suffering from is a curse from Allah already. Where are they being headed? Where are they being thrown? Which direction are they being, you know, uh, uh, pushed into which falsehoods when it's said to them come on come on the messenger will make istighfar for you just come back get your act together you know Abdullah bin Ubay the leader of the hypocrites when he walked away with his gang of 300 at Uhud Obviously, everybody knew who walked off the battlefield. It wasn't a secret. The behavior is really obvious. But still, nobody pointed at him and called him a munafiq. We didn't do that. So the next Friday, the ayata revealed about the incident, about Uhud. And these ayat are really critical about the hypocrites. He was in the front row. Jumu'ah is crowded. He was in the front row. And the front row is the hardest row to leave. As, he, as the ayat started coming down, he got so angry, he got up and walked out of the khutbah. He's walking out of Jumu'ah. And people are walking in, and like, where are you going? He's like, Psh, get, get out of my way. I'm heading out. I'm not, I don't need to take this. He took it as a, the ayat about hypocrisy, he took them as a personal insult. It's amazing. And now, they're being, the same people are being told, it's okay, come on back. And that seems unforgivable. Come on back. The messenger will ask forgiveness for you. Lawa ru'usa hum. Lawa, they say to Turk. Huh. He's gonna ask forgiveness for me. Like I need his, him asking for forgiveness. I need, like I need his You know, I need to apologize to him. So they turn their head in arrogance. Wara'aitahum yasuddun, and you'll see them stopping. No, no. Come on, come on, come on. They're like no, I don't want to come. They pull their hand back. Yasuddun to stop oneself also means to stop others. And they are deeply arrogant. And this is, by the way, really heavy because. Fi'il. Ism. 
ثابت فيه دوام لا يتغير they are totally arrogant and permanently arrogant he's stuck in this state وهم مستكبرون سواء عليهم it will be the same fate for them استغفرت لهم أم لم تستغفر لهم whether you asked Allah to forgive them if you asked forgiveness for them or you never asked forgiveness for them it wouldn't have made any difference لن يغفر الله لهم Allah is not going to forgive them إن الله لا يهدي القوم الفاسقين no doubt Allah is not going to guide the corrupt nation. هم الذين يقولون They're the ones that say لا تنفقوا على من عند رسول الله حتى ينفضوا Don't spend a dime on the, those people that are hanging around the Messenger of Allah and continue to bankrupt them until they disperse and never come back. حتى ينفضوا It's talking about the muhajirun. Abdullah ibn Ghay said, Look, these people have come from Mecca. These immigrants. They have no, no, they've taken our jobs. They're holding our household incomes down. They've caused a problem. And these people are, you know, they're, they're an economic disaster for us. The only way we're going to get rid of this problem is stop spending on them. Stop helping them in any way, shape, or form until they disappear. You know, we have already read, You remember these ayat? They give preference to others over themselves, even if they're hungry themselves. They're like starving and they're giving the other. That was about the muhajirun, remember? The ansar? And how they ate the muhajirun? The hypocrites have the exact opposite attitude now. They say, hey, don't spend a nickel on them. Don't spend a dime. Nothing. لا تنفقوا على من عند رسول الله حتى ينفضوا You know, this surah also has to do with a fight that broke out. Among some muhajirun and some ansar. Some Muhajirun and some Ansar, there was a fight that broke out. And unfortunately, Shaitan got the best of some people, and they started calling each other names. And this tribalism came out. Makkah versus Medina. What'd you say about Makkah? What'd you say about us? What'd you say about us? And it's like, it, beef broke out in the middle of some Muslims, and hypocrites took advantage of that. They jumped in, they instigated it further. Abdullah ibn Abayy and Munafiqun called the, the Meccans the dogs of Medina, stray dogs that got here. Like insults. They, they live off of our leftovers. Insults. So this was building a real aggression. You know what that teaches us, by the way? It doesn't matter how strong your iman is. It doesn't matter how strong your iman is. Stereotypes and you know, gang mentality and nationalism and tribalism can come back at any second. It can just come right back. It's a part of our identity. It's a good part of our identity, but it can turn lethal at any moment. You can't get rid of it. I'm always going to be Pakistani. I can't. It's not going to change. That's, my parents are Pakistani. It's going to be there. I am going to try my best not to be you know, so nationalistic that I hate other nations or think less of them, because almost in some parts of Pakistan, you're not really Pakistani until you insult Bangladeshis. You're not really Punjabi until you make fun of Urdu-speaking people. You know? So your sense of identity only gets validated once you put another down. Racism, tribalism, this is where it comes from. You know, sick forms of nationalism. But at some level, loving your city is embedded. The Prophet loved Makkah. He loved it. It's not something wrong. It's not wrong to love the place you're from, the people you're from. The Ansar took pride in being Ansar. They wrote poetry about the Ansar. They said, you know, we're the Ansar. We're awesome. And not at the individual, not Ansari didn't walk around saying, I'm an Ansari, I'm awesome. But as a people, it's, it's fine to take pride in who you are. There's nothing wrong with it. But watch it. Watch it. Because 
a given moment and that healthy sentiment can turn into something lethal. It can turn into bias against another, aggression against another, very easily. It takes very, very little. It takes extremely little, you know. One of the ways by which these things are excited in people nowadays is sports, right? I think Pakistan and India were in the World Cup this year, were they, in, the, in cricket, in the final? They were all the Indian brothers in the Masha were distributing ladoos and Dunkin' Donuts when the, they won the World Cup. And the Pakistani guys were like, hmm. <laughs> That's okay, it's just sport. But when it gets out of hand, and people run into the stadium beating each other up, oh, I was like, take it easy. But even the Sahaba weren't free from this. It took work. In a, in a culture where tribe is everything for thousands of years, you're nothing without your tribe. You're nothing without it. And your tribe is being insulted? Yeah, I've been Muslim for a while, but come on. You can't be insulting my people like that. It came back, and the Prophet was extremely upset. He was extremely upset. Like you're going back to Jahiliya after Islam? It's very harsh. Now, they made this claim. Don't spend on the Muslims and don't spend on these muhajirun until they run back. And Allah alone owns the treasure vaults and the treasures of the skies and the earth. You think you're spending on them? You're spending what I gave you. You're doing anybody a favor? You're, you, you yourself are favored. However, the hypocrites won't understand. After they're coming back as they're from an expedition, as they're heading back, they say, you know, when this fight is done, they say, when we head back to Medina, the most noble ones will expel from it the, the lowest ones. By Al-A'az, they mean the Madani citizens. By Al-Adhal, the lowest ones, they mean the Muhajirun. We'll expel them from our city. They were living off of our scraps anyway, and now we should just get rid of them because they are a source of humiliation for us. Who do they think they're stepping up to us like this? You see, this also came about because who had Allah honored more in Surah Al-Mujadala? If you remember. You know? The Muhajirun. They were honored. And then Allah talked about, and the Ansar also aid, aid, aid. But, but the first thing that was mentioned was, the, the muhajirun, they were talked about first. And the, the munafiq here is the muhajirun being praised. First of all, they live off of us and now they got a higher rank and the spoils are going to be given to them. You know, what is this? Allah says, وَلِلَّهِ الْعِزَّةِ Nobility and authority belongs to Allah alone. وَلِرَسُولِهِ And to His Messenger. وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ And to true believers. وَلَكِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ However, hypocrites, they have no knowledge whatsoever. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. The remedy against hypocrisy at the end of the surah. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. La tulhikum amwalukum. Wala awladukum an dhikrillah. Those of you who have iman, don't allow your monies and your children to take you away from the remembrance of Allah. Don't let your money and your kids take you away from remembering Allah. What was the purpose of Jumu'ah at the end of Surah Al-Jumu'ah? Fas'au ila... There were two things that took people away from dhikrullah in Surah Al-Jum'ah. Those two things were business and entertainment. There are two things that can take you away from dhikrullah in this surah. What are they? Money and children. Money and children. And take you away from the remembrance of Allah. We're being warned. Look, these attacks come from multiple angles. You have to watch out for all of them. What does it mean money will not take you away from the remembrance of Allah? Meaning remembering money 
remembering the kids, thinking about money, thinking about the kids more than you think about Allah. There's no calculator that you can go today, did the kids win or did Allah win today? This is an internal battle for all of us. How much am I thinking about my children? How much am I thinking about Allah? How much am I thinking about money? How often do I go and check, log into my online banking access and check my deposits and check my, check my balance? And how often I remember Allah? What am I, what, how, how often am I thinking about future plans, financial plans, business plans? And how often am I thinking about Allah? It can be that you are praying five times, you're doing ritual religious acts, but you're not thinking about Allah at all. It's possible. It's just all artificial. All you're thinking about really is money and kids. It's all that's on your mind all the time. And it's so hard when you get older. It's so hard. Once you start a family, and especially you're the head of the family, and it's like two things on your head all the time. The bills, you know, the, the savings, the expenses, the school, the homework, the graduation, the vacation, the summer, the family, the trip, the, the Eid, the Ramadan. Oh my God. Money and kids all the time. It takes a really strong effort to keep Allah in the picture. You have to go really, I mean, money and kids, you don't have to make an effort to think about because they're in your face. You know, you got to change the diaper so your nose won't let you forget the kids. <laughs> but Allah is not in front of our eyes. It takes a lot of work, you know. I know you probably heard me tell the story, but I don't care. I don't care. Because I, you know, I think about that even now. That story, I, I remember that story and I get shaken up even now. It was when I only had one daughter, Husna. Way so long ago, many moons ago. One child, I can't even count. How many? Six, yeah, six. <laughs> six now. I can't even tell their names right anymore. Hey, Imad, I mean, Walid, I mean, Walia, I mean, Hoda, I mean, child. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> but your first child, you're, I mean, we, you know, my wife and I, we have this bad habit. We judge people. <laughs> so, <laughs> people that have one child, we just scoff at them. <laughs> they think they got it hard. <laughs> Even at Hajj, we're like on the escalator and this lady's holding a child and she's like, I don't know what to do. My wife's like, Woman, come on. That's one. That ain't nothing. I got six in one hand. You know. <laughs> when you have one child, though, you're so obsessive compulsive. It's so cute. Oh, yeah. It's just his first burp. Did you record it? It threw up on me. It's so cute. <laughs> Everything's adorable about the first child. It could be ugly as a mule. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's your first child. You know? They say in Arabic, Al-Qirdu fi aini ummihi ghazal. They say in Arabic, the monkey in the eyes of his mother is a gazelle. <laughs> you know? Everything about them is adorable. Everything about them. You know? I'm making salat at home. I still remember in Long Island. I'm making salat at home, and my daughter's like crawling around, and out of nowhere, she puts her hands on the ground, and she stood up. And she's going, Abba, 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 Abba. First word she learned, Abba. 
Allah, Allah, and I'm in Salat. And Allah didn't just give us vision enough to see the rectangle in front of us that we're praying in the Musalla, to, you know, but we have peripheral vision. So on the corner of my eye, I see a child standing up saying, Abba, 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 Abba. <laughs> Look what I just did. <laughs> you know? And I was in my salah, and I go, In salat. <laughs> the craziest thing, I was reciting Surah Al-Munafiqoon, and the next ayah I recited was this one. Ya ayyuhalladhina those of you who, have, who claim to have iman, don't let your money or your children distract you from remembering Allah. You're like, oh, man. Put in my place. SubhanAllah. I forgot that I had a child. I forgot that I had a child. I was so overwhelmed. You know, وَمَنْ يَفْعَلْ ذَلِكَ And whoever does that, فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ Then they're the ultimate losers. This idea of family distracting you from the remembrance of Allah will be mentioned in the next surah too. It'll come up in the next surah too as a matter of iman. How can they become a trial for you? fitna. Next surah also. You know? But don't let your money and kids distract you from remembering Allah. Some people misuse these ayat. And they manipulate Muslims for, and, and get them to start thinking that you have to join Islamic causes. And when you join those causes, don't worry about your finances and don't worry about your family because if you do, then you are, it's, they're taking you away from the remembrance of Allah. So you should be part of the cause. So what if you're not home 18 hours a day? Allah will take care of them. You take care of Allah's deen. That's manipulation. That's not genuine. It's not true. We have to serve our deen. But part of our deen is taking care of our family. Part of our deen is you know, making sure that they have a halal livelihood. And that the children are raised with a father that's there to do tarbiyah of them. It's a bogus idea that somehow you are going to go serve deen and the mother will raise the children without the role of a father. How critical is the role of a father? How are you going to go away and do whatever, da'wah and this and that, and you have no time for your family, and you're going to stand in salat and recite Yaqub giving advice to Yusuf Where are you? Where's your, your boy is Yaqub? Are you reciting this ayat and you're not a father? You know? That's, that's not what our deen requires. In emergency situations, in the battlefield, when Badr and Uhud and Ahzab came, yes, leave the family, join the army. It's a draft. And if your son's old enough, he'll join the army too. It's a draft. That's a different situation. But under normal circumstances, we're not supposed to abandon our family and say that we're serving deen. That's not serving deen. The biggest problem of the world today is the destruction of the family unit. It's not political. It's not ideological. The biggest problem is parents don't know how to raise children anymore, so we, we are raised in a nation of corrupt human beings. A humanity that's filled with corrupt human beings that weren't raised properly. And we're going to do da'wah and talk to people and not raise our own children? It's, it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. There are causes beyond our family. That's absolutely true. And we will have to give time to them and make time for them. But it will not be at the expense of the rights of our family. It will not be. However, if your family, you're so obsessed with them, you're so into them that you have no time for Allah's deen, you have no time for anything else. Then there's a problem. Because you were, you were sent on this earth 
to serve Allah's deen too. Part of that is taking care of your family, but there are other parts too. And we have to learn to find a balance. We have to learn to find a balance. It's very hard. I, I, admittedly, it's extremely hard to find that balance. To, to find time for your deen, for your own learning, for serving others, for helping others, for your family, for your career, for your advancement, for yourself, for your health, for your friends. There's so many things we have to balance and juggle in a week. In a week. And if you can find a way to organize your week, you've organized your life. Really. If you could, if you could figure out how to balance your week out, you, you've got a good life. If in it, you've given time to deen, you've given time to family, you've given time to parents, you've given time to friends, you've given time to yourself, you're doing a little bit of exercise in there, you're learning, you're doing proper ibadah. It's a lot on our plate. There's a lot on our plate. And you know what happens? Oftentimes, we're good at some things, we're not good at others, so we focus on what we're good at, and we let everything else go, down, go to the wayside. And it creates an imbalance. It creates an imbalance. And then we feel it a little while after when there's a complete bankruptcy on one end or the other. You know? That's, that's, it's a really big discussion, this, this thing. لَا تُلْهِكُمْ أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَلَا أُولَادُكُمْ عَنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَمَنْ يَفْعَلْ ذَلِكْ فَأُولَائِكَ هُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ But the last, last few comments about this, you know, uh, is that you have people that all they do with their life is they want their kids to have a bright future. Right? So they put them in the best schools. You know, they, they, their savings go towards their college, then towards getting them married. Al-Munabbi, okay. So, and they just, that's all they did with their life. If you look back at their life, it was until, until maybe they're, they're, they had children, they lived maybe for themselves, but after children, they lived for their kids. So they lived for it. It's really, their, amount, their life amounts to just doing something for their children. But unfortunately, one thing they weren't able to give their children is deen. It was really tragic. I know people, like in New York, it's tough life. It's like a lot of people that like drive cabs for 19 hours a day, you know, and barely save, and they save money and save money and say, why? Because I want my kid to live in a house in Long Island one day. Because Long Island is like Jannah from Queens. Right? So they'll work at the gas station and drive a cab and save and save and save and save and save. So one day we can move to the island. That's success. And then my kid can go to, a, you know, go to a college. That's success. And because they're... If you're working 19 hours a day, and, and you're doing overtime, overtime, so you can save and save and save and save and save, so you can do this other stuff, you know what happens. You have, you're, you're not around for your children. You're not around for them. So you have no meaningful relationship with your kids. It's really tragic. And then these kids turn 18, 19, 20 years old, and they run away from home. They leave. Well, they have these alternative lives that the parents don't even know about. And then by the time they get a career, they just abandon their parents because they never really had a relationship with their parents because their parents weren't home. They were just busy building their careers. You know? They have, they have more meaningful conversation with their non-Muslim friends than they will ever have with their own parents. And this is how so many Muslim families in America have been ruined. Muslim families. So many. Work, 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 work. No relationship with children, and then you wonder why my children don't. And then, then you come to the speaker and say, Brother, please talk to my children, give up, talk about the rights of children or the rights of parents. Well, what about the rights of children, man? Where were you? You know, and all of this for our own children. Surah Al Tawbah is even scarier. Allah says, Allah gave them, Don't be impressed with their money and their kids. 
Allah only wants to torture them by means of their money and their kids. <laughs> that same thing you work towards your whole life becomes a means by which you're tortured. لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. وتزها قان فسهم. Their selves get consumed. They get eaten up from the inside. You know. فأولئك هم الخاسرون. And finally, وأنفقوا مما رزقناكم. Spend from what we have provided you. You see, Surah Al Jumu'ah offered the Prophet's methodology, and then a practical means by which to establish that methodology, Jumu'ah. Surah Al Munafiqun offers a very serious problem, introduces us to a very serious problem, which is nifaq, hypocrisy, and the solution to nifaq is infaq. Same root. One of the main solutions to nifaq is spending. Anfiqu min marazaknakum. Spend from what we have provided you. Now, Allah didn't say, anfiqu min amwalikum. He said, marazaknakum. What's the rizq in the previous ayah? Just if you look at the context, what's the rizq? Amwal wal awlad. Allah doesn't just want to check from you. Allah wants to see, did you, did you raise your child to serve his deen? Did you spend your child for Allah too? There are people who are super, uber religious themselves. Uber religious themselves. Donating to masajid, going to hajj every year, this and that and the other. But their own child says, I want to learn more Islam. No, 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 you go become a doctor. You study medicine. I'm willing to spend money, but I'm not willing to spend my child. I can't do that for my deen. Not my child. Take the money though. Take a check. Whatever Allah has given you. We have to even think of our families as a, a devotion to Allah. It's an opportunity to devote. The, the, the husband and wife have to remind each other that they are both devoted to Allah. And husband and wife together are to remind the children that the children are one day to be devoted to Allah. They have to work towards that. Make, have a career. Be a doctor. Doctors are not evil. Mostly. Right? Be, be a physician. Be an architect. Be a businessman. Be an entrepreneur. But don't forget you're here to serve deen. Allah never gave us money so we could be successful. Allah gave us money so we could spend more. That's what Surah Al-Hadid already taught us. Why is Allah telling us? By the way, if Allah says spend, you can't spend until you make, right? If you, got, if you didn't make anything, what are you going to spend? Inherent in it is you have to be financially successful. You do. You have to work towards that. But why are you working towards that? So you can spend. So you could give more. You know? And anfiqu here, I'll add for the guys, brothers and sisters, your youth, your talent, your creativity, your enthusiasm, your energy. You have to spend this stuff. How am I going to serve? How am I going to be of service? How's my life going to mean something? You guys, you know, we all need like deen counseling. Serving deen counseling. We have a career counselor. We have to have a khidmatu deen counselor. I, um, you know, my name's Kareem. I'm really good at math. What should I do for Islam? What can I do for Islam? Because there's lots of things you can do for Islam. You don't have to just be a speaker. There's lots of stuff you can do. There's a lot to be done. You know? Before death comes to any one of you, what was the problem? The negative, major negative mentioned in the previous... Death, running from death, you can't run from it. Then in that case he would say, Master, if you just delay for me just a little bit, until just a nearby deadline, give me a couple more days. Just a couple more days. Then I'll confirm the truth. A long time ago I saw a short film 
I think it one of the, it was one of the winners in the Sundance Film Festival. It was about the afterlife. Some guy made a film about the akhirah. I thought it was hilarious, and it, was, it had a good lesson. I, I really enjoyed watching it. It's from the Christian perspective. Guy dies. He's a he's a bad guy. He's not a good guy, and he gets into a car accident, right? And as soon as he dies, he's going up an elevator. And he comes out of the elevator, and there's a processing office. And they're like, oh, Mr. Smith, please come here. And they're calculating, the clerk is calculating his good deeds and his bad deeds in his database. Right? And he goes, um, you're actually 12 good deeds short of heaven. I'm sorry. You're going to have to be taken to hell. And then the clerks start talking to each other in the coffee break and like water cooler conversation. So he sneaks back into the elevator and goes back down into dunya. Okay, so he's back in dunya, and he needs how many? Like twelve good deeds. And the, there's an in the office. There's an alert. He's back in dunya. So they send the angel of death, and he's trying to kill him, but he's running around trying not to get killed, and he's trying to do these good deeds. Huh? I don't know. I'll find it. It's like an eight-minute film. Yeah. So he's trying to do these good deeds, and he's like he's apologizing to his ex-girlfriend or something, and he's like you know, apologizing to his mother and helping an old lady cross the street and this and that. And he's got 11 deeds. He's got 11 deeds. And the car gets him. And when it gets him, a quarter falls out of his hand. He's trying to make a phone call. So a quarter falls out of his hand and it falls into a beggar's cup. <laughs> but that guy got a second chance, right? Ain't no second chances in real life. There's no laula akhartani. Let me take the elevator back. I mean, come on. <laughs> Few more good deeds. Nah. Fa'asaddaq. Then I'll be true. Fa'akum min al-salihin. I'll be from the righteous. I will be among the righteous. Seriously, if you want to understand this ayah, go watch that movie. It'll give you perspective. It'll give you pers- That's not going to happen. You're not going to be like, oh, oh please, please, please. One more chance, one more chance. Please. Come on. Just, just one. When your job, that might happen. You might start begging and pleading your employer, don't fire me. Please. And he might let it go. Akhirah, no. It's done. Allah will not delay for even a single person. When his deadline or her deadline arrives. And Allah has full news, full account of what you're up to, what you're doing. Meaning, get your act together now. Why are you worried about making excuses in the future when you can change your behavior now? If you've already been told well, this is coming and you, change, you didn't change your act, you didn't get your act together at all, then why should you be given a second chance? You've already been told. May Allah Azza wa save us from being munafiqeen and may Allah Azza wa save us from having a facade of our deen and only to, for it to be revealed on Judgment Day that it was meaningless. May Allah Azza wa make a, you know, save our iman, protect our iman and make it stronger and stronger as the days go by. The next surah is again one of my favorite surahs in the Quran because it is the surah of the fruits of Iman. It's a surah about the fruits of Iman. So take a quick break inshallah ta'ala and we'll talk about surah at-taghabun. <coughs>